0: You'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Last week, Pastor Preston introduced us to the book of Ephesians. He challenged us to think beyond our personal salvation, to see God's redemptive plan for all of creation, to think beyond our forgiveness. from the sin that is a part of us. To recognize the gospel affects every aspect of our lives. The gospel changes everything. Today we start in Ephesians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 14. Blessed. What, a bless, what does blessed mean? Are you blessed when you have wonderful children, grandchildren, good health, nice house, great job, or retirement that you actually enjoy? Are you blessed when your health is taken away from you? When your house is hit by a tornado or just termites and mold and leaky water pipe? Leaky Roof, my Webster's New Universal Unabridged Dictionary, that tells you it's big and old, um, says, bless means a few things. Set apart or consecrate to holy purposes, to make and pronounce holy. Two, to make happy, to make successful, to make prosperous in temporal concerns. Four, to consecrate by prayer, say a blessing before a meal. Number five, to praise, to magnify, to extol. We have a tendency to focus on two: to make happy, to make successful, to make prosperous, to feel good. Ephesians one talks about blessings we receive from God. The Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's start in verse 3 with blessings from the Father. Blessings of the Father, he planned the church. And you and I are a part of it. Let's look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What did Paul say here in verse 3? Blessed. This is not the subject of the this sentence, but a describing word. God is blessed. By whom? By us. When we bless God, we praise him. As Webster said, to magnify, to extol. We see this throughout the Old Testament. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the God most high. Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, blessed be the Lord my rock, and many more. We praise God for who he is, how great thou art. Here in Ephesians, we praise the Father, like the Israelites did, for who he is. Blessed be the God and Father. But Paul continues, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel, the good news is that our blessing comes through God, the Son. It's easy for us to just keep going, not stop to realize our, the Lord Jesus Christ is God. That was a mind-blowing thing for the first century Jews and Gentiles. Okay, I still struggle with the Trinity, too. We studied in First Peter, and then we studied in First John, and uh, we know that the early church uh, dealt with Gnostics and others who misunderstood who Jesus is. Some were getting it horribly wrong, and some still do today. Remember, Paul had spent three years in Ephesus, We see this in Acts 19, or maybe we don't remember. So let's review quickly. Paul's first missionary journey, probably 47 to 48 AD, so about 15 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. You could read about this starting in Acts 13. Paul and Barnabas were sent from Antioch. And they traveled from town to town, starting in the synagogues, then preaching to the Gentiles, being beaten, stoned, and imprisoned, all the fun things that make you feel blessed and wanted. They returned to Antioch in Acts 14, and they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. In Acts 15, they were sent to the Jerusalem Council, where the early church was dealing with how to incorporate this new part of the gospel that had been revealed. For God so loved the world meant more than just Jews. Who knew? With the letter in hand, they return to Antioch, and the second missionary journey starts, probably from 48 to 51. We won't get into the split between Paul and Barnabas, but at the end of chapter 15, we see Paul and Silas setting off across land this time to revisit the churches, those assemblies of believers they had established on the first journey. They pick up Timothy along the way. We will hear more about him in the months to come. And we encounter a difficult verse in chapter 16, verse 6. It says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Why did God keep them away from Asia? Verse 7 says, And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Again, prevented to go somewhere with the good news why what was god's plan was someone else going to take the gospel there was the time just not right for the gospel to be received we aren't told but you might remember when we studied first peter peter wrote to the believers in pontus galatia cappadocia asia and Bithynia, so the gospel did get there. Paul goes to Greece, the Macedonian call, you remember, gets beat up and imprisoned some more and gets sent to Athens and Corinth where he spends quite a long time about 18 months and meets Priscilla and Aquila fellow tent makers. On the return trip to Antioch, he drops off Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus and spends a brief time there. Finally, Paul has made it to Asia. But he leaves and returns to Antioch. Paul's third missionary journey, probably 52 or 53 to 57. Once again, Paul and his band travel through Galatia and Phrygia, starting in Acts 18. And this time, they're not prevented from going to Asia. Arriving in Ephesus in Acts 19, 1, Paul found about 12 disciples who had only heard of John's baptism and didn't know about Jesus. When they heard, they believed. And they received the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. He spoke for three months in the synagogue until resistance grew. And then he moved For the next two years, says he spent daily teaching at the Hall or School of Tyrannus. Is this the first Bible school? We'll skip through the healing handkerchiefs, the seven sons of Sceva who got beat up by a demon-possessed man, the book burning worth 50,000 pieces of silver, and the riot of the silversmiths. Come back and read these chapters, especially Acts 20. When he meets with the elders on his return trip to Jerusalem. And you'll better understand the context of this letter to the Ephesians. Paul's journey to Rome. We have to get Paul into prison in Rome so he can write this letter. Probably in the early 60s, so about 8 to 10 years after he came to Ephesus. About 30 years after Christ ascended into heaven. And you can read all about that, Acts 21 to 28. Okay, back to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul had spent three years in Ephesus. Oh yeah, I said that before. Preaching and teaching. He had explained to Jews that Jesus was the Messiah they had been waiting for, looking for. He had explained to idol-worshipping Gentiles that Jesus was the one true God, the creator of everything, and the Lord of our lives. The same unchanging God of creation had chosen the Israelites to glorify his name and be a testimony to all the world. The same God of Abraham, David, and the apostles had chosen people of every tribe and tongue to believe. And people believed in Jesus and were united in him. And the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they became the church. So here in verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and they all know who he's talking about. Do you know Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, The Lord, the head of the church, and do you know his Father? Let us magnify him. He is worthy of our praise. Who has blessed us in Christ. When God the Father blesses us in Christ, he favors us, he gives us something we didn't earn something that's not owed to us, something that we're not worthy of. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul only mentions spiritual blessings here. Some say that This doesn't refer just to spiritual things as opposed to physical. It refers to everything that comes from God. In any case, I want to emphasize the word every. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What are these heavenly blessings? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose us. You know that. I know that. Let that sink in. He chose us. In him, in Christ, his son, before the foundation of the world, before creation, before I was a gleam in my mother's eye, before my mother was a gleam in, And you can keep going. He chose us. Why? Why? that we should be holy and blameless before him. We are chosen not only for salvation, but also for holiness. We talked about holiness on Wednesday night at Gather and Grow. What does holiness mean? What does holy mean? Set apart, being set apart. The holy God planned for us as individuals and for us as a church to be set apart, to be different. Didn't use the word strange. He says different. Because God is not bound by time and because he knows everything, he knew we were going to sin. And he planned a way to deal with that sin. He already knew before we were created that he was going to send his son to redeem us. He chose us to believe in Jesus and to be made holy and blameless because of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. Why did he choose us? For us to be holy and without fault. How do you and I respond? Pastor Preston last week encouraged us to not think I, but think we. And and this is a we, but this is also an I. How do I respond to being chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world? It should be with praise and rejoicing. Praise because only an awesome God could even do this. Could plan this, create this. Rejoicing because what more could we ask for than to be chosen by God? But I should also do what he planned, which is what? To be holy. Again, we talked about this on Wednesday night. If you look in uh, Colossians 3, if you have been raised up with Christ, verse verse 5 says, put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Verse 8 says, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Verse 12 says, put on compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Forgiving each other. Verse 14, and above all these, put on love. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Not just set apart from the world around us, but chosen to be connected to God in the most special of ways. Adopted as children of God through Jesus Christ. In love, God determined beforehand that we would be his forever. I want to borrow from John MacArthur. Human parents can bestow their love, resources, and inheritance on an adopted child but not their own distinct characteristics. But God miraculously gives his own nature to those whom he has elected and who have trusted in Christ. He makes them his children in the image of his divine son, giving them not just Christ's riches and blessings, but also his very nature. according to the purpose of his will. In love, God determined beforehand that we would be his forever. And that was his plan. Chosen, predestined, adopted. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace. We see this phrase repeatedly in verse 6, 12, 14. To the praise of his glorious grace. The law in the Old Testament demonstrated God's justice and his holiness. And we praise God for his justice and his holiness. The gospel demonstrates his glorious grace and his mercy. And we praise God. For his grace and mercy that is bestowed on us. The same God who is just and holy is gracious and merciful. That grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Unearned favor. All the blessings we receive come through Jesus. The Son. So let's look at the blessings of the Son. He purchased the church. God the Father planned our salvation and adoption as sons and daughters. How did Jesus, the Son, purchase it? In Him we have redemption through His blood. We were separated from God by our sins. A holy God can't be approached by sinful us. We know the wages of sin. It's death. The price had to be paid. Jesus paid the price. We received the forgiveness of our trespasses. Forgiveness means our sins, our missing the mark, our wrongdoing, our rebellion, our lying, our deceitfulness are taken away from us. Scripture says they're taken, as, taken away as far as the east is from the west. No more guilt, no more shame, we're forgiven according to the riches of his grace is his grace rich enough to pay for your sins after it's already been spent paying for mine it is which he lavished upon us lavished I love that word the dictionary says to give readily in large quantities to use up carelessly. The thesaurus adds some words, heaped, poured, flooded, overwhelmed, inundated, gushed, overflowed, swamped, bombarded. I like the picture of sitting under a waterfall or a fountain, a warm one of course. So what did he lavish? Well, when I was diagramming the sentence, uh, technically he lavished which. And I, you know, I could probably quote some Greek scholars that would prove to us that it refers to his grace, but I wouldn't understand what I was saying either. Um, And I don't think that I would think any differently if you said, well, I'm not sure if it's his grace or if it's his redemption or his forgiveness in verse 7. They are all the same sentence. We're talking about amazing grace. Brenda, I'm going to leave the script here, so just keep that slide here. I said I love that word lavish. That idea of just being given and overflowing that resonates. But aren't we to give like we receive? I'm not sure I love that word, lavish, when it comes to giving. Just ask my wife about it. Okay, don't ask my wife. (laughs) She'll ask for the, do you want that list in alphabetical order of things? Lavish is how we've received. Okay, Brenda, I'm back. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. With his grace, he gave us the gift to understand his plan that he had, been, had previously not been understood, but had been his plan from eternity. This plan gospel that was revealed in Jesus Christ was not something new God planned it from eternity according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time that plan that he would send his son Jesus in the perfect time to live and die that plan that Christ will return to finalize history at just the perfect time, to unite all things to him in heaven and on earth, God will ultimately resolve all things in Christ, either as the Savior or as the judge. Today, he unifies everything in our lives, under him we can't have a separate well this is my jesus part and this is my my part we must not be sunday christians and weekday worldly in him we have obtained an inheritance for believers, Jesus is not our judge, but our Savior and our fellow heir. It's difficult to grasp. Um, we are adopted to have full rights as heirs. It's easy to forget that. Not fully obtained yet spoiler alert it is guaranteed. We are adopted. We are children of God. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, the same God who planned and determined beforehand for his own reasons what would be is also the same God who works out all things. He's not taking a nap or on vacation. He sees the sparrow. He counts the hairs on our heads. The wind and the waves still listen to his voice, according to the counsel of his will. I maybe should tackle a Trinity question here of how God takes counsel within the Godhead and then works with all wisdom according to an eternal purpose. But look at the time. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ, we weren't the first to trust in Christ. And aren't you glad that when Thomas doubted and when Thomas believed, when he saw the marks in our Savior's hands inside, that Jesus said, and blessed are those who don't see and believe Another translation says, we who first trusted in Christ. Trusting in Christ is where we start in our reconciliation to God. That our... So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. God's glory is blessed magnified, praised, when we trust in Jesus Christ. In fact, the angels rejoice. God's glory is blessed and magnified and praised when we are adopted through Christ, and ultimately, another spoiler alert, when we take possession of our inheritance. All might be to the praise of his glory. Blessings of the Spirit, he protects the church. In him you also, when you heard the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, God sovereignly chose you, and you trusted, and you heard the gospel and believed. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's seal of ownership. That seal can't be broken. That seal can't be scraped off. He owns us. The Holy Spirit is that mark on us continues, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is our down payment of coming glory. The guarantee, our full assurance of resurrection and glorification. Jesus revealed the good news, the gospel. The apostles shared it and explained it, Have you believed it? If you have not believed the gospel, please don't leave. You don't have to wait a couple of weeks when we get to chapter 2 and read about being dead in your sins and needing to be made alive in Christ. You can do that today. If you have believed the gospel, you have been chosen You have been adopted. You have been bought with a price. You have been sealed and guaranteed by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are called to be holy. Individually holy. And as a community of believers, to be holy. What will you do? What will I do? You don't have to wait either. You don't have to wait till we get to chapters 3 to 6 to 4 to 6 to be told how to do this. Be told what to do, what not to do, to put on the whole armor of God. Today, what will you do? Choose to be holy. I've asked Becca and Samuel to lead us in a closing song. Same God. The God of creation. The God of Noah and his family. Of Abraham and Sarah. Of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. Of Hannah and Samuel. Of David and Solomon. Of the prophets of Mary and Joseph, of Anna and Simeon, of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, of the apostles, including Paul, of the lame man who was healed at the temple, of the people of Ephesus who repented of their sins and believed of the founding families of Calvary Baptist Church 80 years ago, of Pat and Juanita, of Curtis and Alice. That's my mom and dad and dearest mom and dad. I could go on for a long time here, but I'll just pause for a minute and let you, the God of He's the same God today, tomorrow, forever, and we need him now.